Father, we come before you today. We thank you, just as we've already been reminded this morning, uh, in word and in praying and in singing, that Jesus is not dead. He has risen. And in a time of year where we celebrate the first advent, the first coming of our King, I pray that now, on the other side of Christmas Day, that we would today and all days, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at your right hand. Jesus is alive. He was crucified, dead, and buried, and then raised back to life gloriously through the spirit of resurrection from the dead. And in that, we rejoice. Give us ears to hear this morning what you'd have to say to your people, eyes to see the beauty of the Lord Jesus, hearts that are soft towards him. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' holy, precious, perfect, and powerful name. Amen. You can be seated. Was Pastor William already already said, to those of you that are here in the room, it's a joy to see you today. And for those of you that are joining us on stream, it is a joy to be worshiping together in different places, but coming together as a church family. Over the last several weeks, um, there, we've seen and heard a lot of things that come along with Christmas, the Christmas season. Um, the things that stick out in my mind that are like uniquely Christmassy, um, there's one, one house by our house. If you know this house, you know which one I'm talking about. The guy goes all out. There's like a, his, the whole front of his house, it's almost hard to look at, like it's so bright. And he has a countdown every single day for like the month leading up to Christmas where he changes this every day. It's on the top of this guy's house. And he changes it every day, nine days to Christmas, eight days to Christmas, all the way down. The things that I'm reminded of this time of year are lights which kind of are in and of themselves a parable of the season that we're in, right? Which we talked about Christmas Eve. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness has not overcome it, right? The light doesn't emerge from within us. It shines outside of us because we need somebody to come to our rescue. We cannot rescue ourselves. And the light in the darkness on a dark night, you've been riding. It was a couple weeks ago. It was so foggy outside, I could barely see my hand in front of my face. But you know what light does when that happens? Light penetrates the darkness. That's what we celebrate this time of year. Some of you, probably not all of you, but, but many of you have uh, Christmas trees in your house. And we still have ours up. There might be some of you who have already taken it down. That's what you do on Christmas Day, um, which is great. But th- that's also, in and of itself, kind of a parable of Christmas. Here's what we do. If we take this tree, many of us take a f- fake tree. And, but I remember growing up, we had a real tree. Every year, we would go get a real tree and bring it to our house. We would take a tree that wasn't really that special, right? And here's what we would do. We would bring it into our house. It would be cut down, right? It would kind of be, uh, it would die if it were left in that state that it was in, cut down. But then here's what we do. We pick it up, we bring it into our house, and, and essentially, we glorify the tree. We, it's a picture of resurrection, what this tree was kind of sown, being left to itself, it would die, but because it was somebody from the outside takes it in, glorifies it, beautifies it, and then resurrects it in their home to enjoy. Uh, we listen to Christmas music in our house, and I've been listening to Christmas music, I think, since like 
September, uh, October. I don't know about you guys. Some people like hate me because of that and tell me I'm crazy. Other people are like, oh yeah, we totally get it. We're in the same boat. So I do that. But Christmas music is also, it's like one of the holidays that has Christmas music wrapped up with it. And the second you sing, everybody knows that song, right? Silent Night. We all know it. Songs and then gifts. Many of us under our tree, we had gifts that are also, again, kind of a parable in and of themselves. On Christmas Day, to celebrate the Lord's birth, we all come together with family and we exchange gifts pointing to, beyond themselves, the greatest reality, the gift of the Lord Jesus. All these things, it really is a wonderful time of year. But we woke up today, December 26th, only to discover that Christmas has come and gone again. Yesterday was Christmas Day. How many of you guys like tried to hold on to the day? Like you just wanted to kind of just last. Well, here we sit. We can't stop the clock. Time moves on. And it's December 26th. The music has been played. The lights maybe in your house have already come down. The tree it, it probably maybe is down or about to come down. The gifts have been opened for many of us. Now we are left as with most things in life, being reminded that Christmas comes and goes. Most things in life come and go. The Christmas season makes many promises. Promises of love, joy, peace, and hope. But again, the season has come and gone. The world is still in the same shape it was in before Christmas. People are sick and suffering. Wars are being fought. Consider this for a moment. We're going to come back to that idea here in just a few minutes. But just consider this for a minute. The first thing I want to say before I say this is, we are not the first Christians. We stand in a long line of godly men and women, brothers and sisters, who have gone before us for the last several thousand years. And what was important to them might actually be being neglected in the modern church. Uh, historically, there are four Sundays in Advent, right? You start celebrating before the four Sundays out before Christmas, and then some traditions have it in their kind of liturgy to let the Sunday after Christmas to be a day where we remember, celebrate, look forward in eager anticipation to the second coming of the Lord Jesus. So maybe you wake up during the week, you spend time in the Word and in prayer, come to church every week or you view on the stream every week. Maybe husbands and wives, you love each other well, you raise your children to love the Lord Jesus. But here's what I want to submit to you. You might actually still have a profoundly secular worldview. You might say, well, how's that? You might be wondering what I mean by that. That is such, here's, here's what I mean. Do you find yourself regularly, habitually looking for the return of the Lord Jesus? That's maybe meant to be a silent answer, but certainly not rhetorical. I want you to think about that. Do you regularly look for the return of the Lord Jesus? Maybe, maybe even one step back from that one, do you actually believe he's going to come back? When's the last time you had 
serious, careful consideration away from your device, right? And considered for a moment, there will be a day where the trumpet will sound and the Lord will return in the clouds. And 1 Thessalonians says, when that happens, the dead in Christ are going to be raised first to meet Him in the air. Our brothers and sisters and generations before us longed for the return of the Lord Jesus. For most Christians today, the issue is one many don't want to discuss. The second you bring it up, debates happen, controversy. I don't want to talk about that. I'm not sure about my position. And I get that to some degree. A dozen unnecessary questions come up along with the topic. And this is one of those topics that many try to avoid because so many have so badly misunderstood what the Bible has to say about the second coming of the Lord Jesus. The return of Jesus isn't in the common language of Christians anymore. Maybe in the last year and a half, it's become a little bit more on the forefront with everything that's going on in the world. But certainly, it was on the forefront of the early church. The earliest creeds, these summaries of core Christian belief, speak clearly and succinctly on the issue. And this is the opposite of the way that it is spoken of in most churches today. If it is spoken about, it is spoken of often at length and with great ambiguity. That's the opposite of succinctly and clearly. So here's how I want to read to you this morning. I'm just going to do some reading, and I just want you to do some considering. The earliest creed in the Christian church outside of the Scriptures. So if also, if you don't use a creed or a confession or a catechism in your daily liturgy, your daily time with the Lord, I would really encourage you to do that. It really is helpful. Um, especially if you're kind of, we're coming up on, we're not at January 1st yet, so you don't have an excuse to say, well, I missed the 1st, right? January 1st is coming up. And if you are determined, and you should be, to, to study the Scriptures, to, to read them through this year, I would encourage you to use uh, the Second London Baptist Confession, the Heidelberg Catechism, one of these things to just guide your time in the Word. These things were created so that we would get a whole scope of what the Scriptures have to say to us. Here's what the earliest creed in the Christian church outside the Bible says. It's real short. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, Creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell, and on the third day he rose again from the dead. Glory be to God. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. That's what I just told you. Succinct and clear. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic or Universal Church, the communion of the saints, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of the body. Glory be to God and life everlasting. Amen. Here's another one. A couple hundred years, so we believe, after that one was written. Listen to this. I just want you to see if you can pick up on what the early, our, our, these are our brothers and sisters in Christ who gathered on the Lord's Day thousands of years ago, and this is what they believed. Listen. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is, seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through Him all things were made. For us men and for our salvation, He came down from heaven, 
By the power of the Holy Spirit, he became incarnate of the Virgin Mary and was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. And on the third day, he rose again in accordance with the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. Here it is, succinct, clear. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead. And his kingdom will have no end. There's more. We'll stop. I've got more. And we'll just move on for the sake of clarity and being succinct. There are more. The Augsburg Confession, the Belgic Confession, these are all Reformation. Here we stand 500 years removed from the, from the Protestant Reformation. And these are, this, this is what our brothers and sisters sought to clarify and to save people from who were being killed because they wanted the Bible in their own language. And the Reformers came along and said, we want that too and we'll clarify and we'll give you the Scripture. Praise be to God. You got a Bible in your lap? Thank the Reformers. The Heidelberg Catechism, the Canons of Dort, the Westminster Confession, the Second London's Baptist Confession, and the list goes on. And they all sought to clarify for our sake what the Scriptures say. You see how important this doctrine has been throughout the history of the church. From the early church, the church fathers, the Middle Ages, the Reformation, this teaching has been heralded along with the life, death, burial, resurrection, ascension, and coronation of King Jesus as the message of the gospel. Do you know why it was important to them? Because it's important to God. You know how we know that? Because the Scriptures tell us it is. So today we're going to take a few minutes and talk about that day. Jonathan Edwards, a great uh, Puritan Uh, he said, there are two days on my calendar, this day and that day. You know what Dave's talking about? Capital D, that day. This is how we need to live our lives, today and light of that day. This is what we're going to talk about today. Uh, Real quick, I just quoted from 1 Thessalonians 4. I just want to say, this topic comes up, and here's what people often do. Oh, I'm not sure what I believe about that. The timeline, I'm kind of kind of sketchy on that. I'm not really sure what I think. And you know what Paul says to the church at Thessalonica? A group of people who thought they missed the Lord's coming. They came back and said, oh, have, have we missed it? And Paul says, no, no, no. No, you haven't missed it. Like, the Lord has not returned. You're, you're going to know it when the Lord comes back. You know why? Because the trumpet is going to sh- sound all over the world. An angel is going to cry And the Lord Jesus will come back visibly in the clouds to receive his bride. And when he comes back, those who have gone before us that we're talking about, those who were in this room a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, will be with him to meet us. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 4, concerning the Lord's return, he doesn't say scare each other to death with these words. This is what you see if you watch a lot of Christian television or whatever, it's, it's, it's really trying to get people afraid. The end of the world, whatever, whatever, whatever that means. And then we say here, you know what Paul says we should do with this doctrine? Encourage one another. When is the last time you looked in the face of a suffering brother or sister in Christ and said, the Lord Jesus could come back right now? That's what Paul says. The Lord Jesus is going to return. And you should regularly be comforting and encouraging each other with this reality. There are many things that we don't know for sure. 
have a particular understanding of the way things might play out, but I'm happy to say I could be wrong about that. We can certainly disagree. We don't know exactly what it will look like, but there are a few things we can know for sure considering the Lord's return. Here's the first thing we can know. The return of Jesus will be soon. The return of Jesus will be soon. You might be thinking, it's been 2,000 years. Are you wrong to think that? No, it has been 2,000 years. It's been over 2,000 years now, or right there around it, depending on where we understand the Lord Jesus to have been born. You might be thinking, I don't think it's going to be soon. But Jesus told us two times in these couple of verses that we're going to read that he is coming soon. If you have your copy of God's Word, flip to 2 Peter 3, starting in verse 8. Second Peter 3, starting in verse 8. Listen to this. But do not overlook this one fact. You hear this? It's important to Peter. This is how he closes his second letter. And he says, hey, there's one thing that you do not want to overlook. With the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. How many of you are thankful for that? How many of you would be so bold to say, I don't need patience? Do you need patience? How many of you are married to somebody that needs patience? How many of you have children that need patience? Of course, the Lord is patient towards you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. Then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Peter understood that the Lord was returning soon. Flip over one more place to Revelation 22. Probably the last page in your Bible. Revelation 22 starting in verse 6. Revelation 22 verse 6. This is the last thing in the Scriptures. This is John writing, and he says, <clears throat> and he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. All the wisdom of the world, all the philosophies, all the knowledge, apart from the Lord Jesus, are not faithful. They're not true. They're missing the, the word of God. The one who holds, what John 1 says, the one who holds all things together. Jesus is the faithful, true one, and the words that bear witness to him. And the, and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I'm coming soon. That's two times already. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, 
and the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I'm a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoers still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. Behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers and idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. You know what your job, you know what your job is to do? Your job is to say, come. The spirit and the bride say, come. We're the bride, and we invite people to come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of the prophecy, the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. Amen. John says, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord be with all. Amen. Did you catch what happened to John when he was confronted with the reality that Jesus is coming soon? What did he do? Fell on his face and worshipped. This is something that uh, we, you don't need... Uh, Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Word. You need a God will lift you up by His power. And you know that for sure because Jesus is raised from the dead and He is returning soon. At any moment, the Lord Jesus could return. The second thing we know about the, uh, about the return of King Jesus is that it will be sudden. The return of King Jesus will be sudden. The same passage from 2 Peter that we just looked at. One commentator says it like this, The parousia, the second coming, the appearing, will be as sudden and as unexpected, as disastrous to the unprepared as a burglar in the night. So that's comforting to those of us who are expecting, but it's not comforting to those who are not expecting. It's terrifying. Paul says that this is going to happen in 1 Thessalonians 15. Everybody look up here real quick. You can't see me. Go like this. Blink your eyes. Jesus is going to come back more quickly than that just happened. The twinkling of an eye, not the blinking of an eye, the twinkling of an eye. It happens even faster than you can blink. And if it, So Hallie doesn't blink her eyes, our little girl. She doesn't blink. She'll stare at you, and she'll win a staring contest every time you do it with her. So don't look at her when you're trying to think through this. But just consider for yourself, how often do you blink? There's a reason that we're told by Paul he uses that as an illustration. Because do you realize how often you blink your eyes? What if you thought about Jesus and his second coming every time you blinked your eyes? That's how quickly the Lord Jesus is going to, his second coming will be. 
Peter tells his readers that Jesus will come like a thief in the night. He's coming not, uh, is not going to have all kinds of warnings. It is imminent, meaning it could happen at any time, literally at any moment, Jesus could return. When is the last time that you prayed, come quickly, Lord Jesus? Y'all, you should be praying this. And what I should say is I hope your heart actually longs for it. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. It's a great comfort. Before you leave here today to go to lunch, Jesus could return. It should also frighten those of us who don't know Jesus. There have certainly been many people who have said, I'll get right with Jesus before I die, before he returns. And this passage reminds us the reality that you might not be able to do that. The Scriptures are clear. Do you long for and love the Lord Jesus with your whole heart? Have you bowed the knee in faith and repentance and turned away from your sin and turned to Him as the only one who can give you your heart's deepest desire? You look at the world around you, and this is what Pastor Brandon talked about all the time, because the Scriptures talk about it all the time. Your heart is created. Augustine, 1,600 years ago, said, your heart is going to be restless until it finds its rest in, in God. Because you were created for God. And Jesus stands here saying, here I stand. That's what he says in Matthew 11. Come to me. All you who are weary and heavy laden, you keep going to this thing. You keep going to that thing. You keep going to to all kinds of stuff because you think you're going to find satisfaction in those things. And Jesus himself says, I'm standing here ready to receive you. Come to me, I'll give you rest. Jesus is going to return like a thief in the night, in the twinkling of an eye. And that brings us to our last point about the second coming of Jesus. The return of King Jesus is certain. If you have your Bibles, turn over to Acts chapter 1 quickly. Acts chapter 1. You remember what, ha- what has happened right before this account? If you don't know, the book of Acts is written as kind of a part two to the Gospel of Luke. Right? Luke writes Luke and Acts. And at the end of Luke, at the end of the Gospel accounts, here's what we find out about the Lord Jesus. Here's what, just to take Matthew's account, for example. And he says, All authority in heaven and on earth. Not some authority in all places or all authority in some places. All authority in all places now belongs to the Lord Jesus. Is that comforting to you? It should be. There is no place in the entire creation of God on the earth, in the heavens, where Jesus is not ruling and reigning. He is reigning. He does have all authority in all places, and His enemies are being made His footstool right now. At the end of that, He says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. Now go. Does that comfort you to know that, that you have been commissioned by the King who is in charge of all things to go tell people that the King is in charge of all things? And he has become victorious by virtue of his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection and ascension. And he is seated at the Lord's right hand, at God's right hand, the Father's right hand, as king over all things. And that's where Acts picks up. Listen to this. Acts chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, that's who Luke is writing to, getting this record for, I've dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. 
He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promises of the Father, which he said, You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, they still don't get it. (laughs) They still miss the point. They still say to him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And this is what's happened in our culture right now. Well, is now the time where this political whatever is going to uh, be recovered or whatever? It's just like Jesus would look at our faces and say, you still don't get it. <laughs> this is what he says now. It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven, as he went, (laughs) behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the heaven? What would you say to that question? Just consider that for a minute. Jesus has just literally ascended into heaven on a cloud. You're looking up in the sky, and this guy shows up and says, What are you looking at? (laughs) What would you say? What do you think we're looking at? Didn't you see? Do you see his feet still? Like he's like we're looking at the guy ascending into the heavens on a cloud. But then they said, This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Here at the beginning of Luke's record of the early church, we get this account of what happened before Jesus ascended to his Father and sat down as the one who finished the work of salvation and redemption. And after Jesus has ascended, everyone was standing around looking into the clouds, and the angel says, what are you looking at? Then he says, you see him going? That's how he's going to come back. As, As surely as you can see him ascending into the heavens right now, that's how he's going to return There is no doubt whatsoever the return of the king is absolutely certain. And the return of King Jesus is wrapped up in the reality that he has been resurrected. Today, the day after Christmas, 2021, do you know what we gather to celebrate right now? Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. There there is an empty tomb. His body is not in the tomb. The church has exploded. Kings have been brought to points of of misunderstanding and not being able to get what's going on. Uh, The sick have been healed. Demons have been cast out. The world is a new place. Because when Jesus emerged from the tomb on the third day, He stepped into a world that was different. All His enemies are being made His footstool now. One theologian points out, um, this year, does anybody listen to Handel's Messiah? You know this, the, the three movements? Do you know why the Hallelujah Chorus, even if you don't know the Messiah, uh, you probably have heard the Hallelujah Chorus. Do you know why it's not at the end of the third movement, but at the end of the second movement? Because the greatest event in all of human history is not yet to come, it has already happened. The greatest event in all of human history happened when Jesus the king stepped out of the tomb on the third day. The world was a different place. 
Do you know why you can be sure that He is coming again? Because He has already been risen. He's already been resurrected. He is alive now. What He will do, we have faith in and hope and longing for because of what He has done. So in the wake of another Christmas season come and gone, remember that Jesus has not left us. In fact, He is the only one that can deliver on the promises that the Christmas season makes. He is the only one who can actually give love, joy, hope, and peace. We experience those things in part now, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. 1 Corinthians 13. We will see Him and those in our church family of last year who have seen Him. The partial is gone. The perfect has come. And we long for the day where we will see Him face to face. So yes, now we're left, as with most things in life, being reminded that the Christmas season has come and gone. Christmas season makes many promises. Again, love, joy, peace, hope. But again, the season has come and gone. There is one who can deliver. The world is still in the same shape as it was before Christmas. People are still sick and suffering. Wars are still being fought. But the gospel is still moving forward in power. Missionaries are on the field proclaiming the goodness of the Lord Jesus, His death in the place of sinners, His calling all people to come to Him to be reconciled to God. The sovereign King of the universe, we're going through Revelation in Sunday school right now, and I'm just being reminded, there is a throne. When the heavens are opened and John looks and he sees a throne, guess what he doesn't see? He doesn't see a vacant throne. Jesus is still ruling and reigning. That is a sober reminder that we are looking in eager anticipation. We look back in faith, we look forward in hope, and we look up in eager anticipation that one day the Lord will return for His people. And He won't just make us new, He will make everything new. He will give us a new heaven and a new earth for a new people to inhabit. God is about creating a people fit for the new heavens and the new earth. And that's what we remember at Christmas. Jesus became like us, so that we could be glorified as He was. We long for that day, for the return of the Lord Jesus. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to sing together in Christ alone. I'm going to invite you to stand. Father, we come before you today, right now, and are reminded that our King is alive. He is ruling and reigning over the heavens and the earth. His enemies are being made His footstool even now. And we pray that today will be the day where the trumpet sounds and the Lord descends and the archangel cries out and the dead in Christ are raised first to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Give us grace to understand this, to meditate on this, to remind each other of this reality, to encourage and comfort one another with these words. In the face of destruction and death, decay, darkness, we have one who brings life, resurrection, 
light and grace. Help us to focus ourselves and our attention and our affections on him even now. And in his name we pray. Amen.